2: Everybody and Welcome to another episode of Imagine This. I'm Trent and I'm Brashina and today we're joined by a very special guest. Lisa, would you give us the pleasure of introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm Lisa
1: Bellagirino-Ferrand and it's lovely to be here.
2: Um, so, Brashina and I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa through our Epiphany's New Works Festival process. Lisa was one of our semi-finalists this year, meaning she was in the top eight out of the hundreds of submissions that we receive each year, which is incredible. And today we're going to talk a little bit about her and a little bit about her play, Abort the Mission. I so love this play. it's a fantastic <laughs> play and we're going to get there. Mm. But first, Lisa, I want you to tell everyone a little bit about you. Who are you and what kind of plays do you write and why do you write plays and how did you get started writing plays? Just, yeah, let's hear the whole spiel.
1: <laughs> the whole, the life story. I, um well, so I went to um, film school uh, at, at NYU to do animation. Um, and then I, animation was uh, too much, not, not to say too much where I didn't have the patience for it because it was like 24 pictures for one second. Um, but I didn't want to leave the film school because then I'd have to take math. So <laughs> I like what else in the film school do I like? Well, I like writing. So I ended up doing the whole like screenwriting track and all my teachers were like, oh, you know, you're like, you're good at this, but you're too wordy for movies. Have you considered theater? And I was like, oh, I like theater better than movies. That's <laughs> great. So that was kind of, how I uh, ended up being a theater person. And um, I've always done comedies, which was also fun at college. Cause I feel like everybody else was writing like gritty, like crime stories and drugs. And then I was like, so there's these two girls and she has a crush on this person and he has a, And it was like, I was <laughs> in a different place than everybody else. Um, but it, so I've always, I've always, comedy is my wheelhouse and um, in recent years as as you know the world has everything's terrible and the world's literally on fire and so i've started um writing plays that use comedy to explore issues that like give me anxiety or fill me with rage like big kind of world things that are happening that uh keep me up at night and so then i use comedy to write a play about that where my like lecture on it is kind of hidden in the comedy like how you hide a heartworm pill and cheese and then it's like more palatable and so it's hard to, like if people are laughing it's hard to like have a closed mind I feel like comedy is a good way to to kind of argue your point without people realizing they're being lectured at
2: I guess um
1: so that's kind of where I where I am now and what I like doing now.
2: No, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that on this podcast before. Um, we produced in our season last year the Thanksgiving play, mm-hmm. and we did a whole episode on it. It's a fantastic example of using comedy to make a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm so good <laughs> and and so and like you said you know i love the analogy of coating the heartworm pill and cheese but <laughs> yes. it's really true right mm-hmm. comedy makes things more palatable mm-hmm. even if you're driving home the same really difficult to discuss point if you're laughing about it you tend to be more receptive and i mm-hmm. would love to see more social issue comedies arise um which is one of the reasons I think we were both excited about this play
0: yes (laughs) yes I am so curious as to how this play came to be because it's such an interesting premise and like maybe you want to give us the premise and then tell us like how it came to be
1: yeah so the premise is um there's these three retired women living in a retirement community in Florida who are baby boomers who you know fought for abortion rights or reproductive rights the first go around and now they're like we're going to do it again we're going to figure it out but we're you know how how do we do it and so they decide that they're going to um trap the governor by uh having the daughter of one of these women seduce him and get pregnant and then tell him she's pregnant and record him telling her to get an abortion and then she's going to be like i'm going to you know extort you unless you change these laws and so that's their their big plan um, of how they're gonna go about saving all the women in Florida, um, and it came about because uh, I had signed up. There's a there's a group in New York City called the Playground Experiment, like a theater company, um, and a couple times a year they do a fundraiser called Drop and Give Me Ten. Where you uh, playwrights volunteer, um, and they pick—I think at random—they pick uh, you know ten playwrights or something to participate, and you're each given the same five rules, and you're each given two actors unique to you from like their pool of actors, and you have to write the first ten pages of a full-length play using these two people that you were given, and incorporating all five of these rules. Um, and so I signed up for it and then forgot I signed up for it and then got an email that was like, here are your actors, here are your rules. This is due in three days. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was, it was like two days after the Dobbs decision had dropped, um, in May of 2022 and the rules were all like, um, there's a location with an age restriction. Somebody lies about their age. There's a conversation about sex. And so like the Dobbs decision was. On my mind and there was supposed to be a conversation about sex so it just kind of um came to be the first 10 minutes of this play and then one of the one of the rules was you had to include a pun and i i'm not good with puns but i'm married to a 41 year old dad so i (laughs) i had nine and a half pages and i was like okay i have half a page left you know to work with where can i stick a pun and so he he took it to work to confer with his pun associates And they came back with like six handwritten pages of like different puns and where the puns could fit. The pun is not in the play anymore. (laughs) I'm not a pun person. But uh, then he, you know, and he was like, well, we like, what happens next? We all wanna know what happens next. And I was like, I don't know what happens next. Like, I forgot I signed up for this and now I've written it. And so. And he kept, you know, every so often he'd be like, we all wanna know, like, what happens next in this play. And I was like, I don't know. Like, when you start up here, how do you heighten it? I don't know. And But then I, I thought about it for a while and I was like, OK, well, what would happen next? Well, I think maybe this would happen next. It's, it's the only play I've ever written that feels like, felt like driving at night where it's like <laughs> I could only see so far ahead. Mm-hmm. But then when I got to that point, then I would stop again and, and take walks and be like, well, then what would happen once they got here? So I feel like the whole play is like very farcical, which is strange because it's about abortion but it's like very farcical and everything gets heightened to crazy extents. And um, and I didn't know where it was going in the beginning, but I was like, it's gotta go up from here. And so it, it, was, it was very weird. First play I've written like that, where by the end I'm like, who could have thought where it would go? Um.
2: So, okay, this that gives brings me to a question. One of the things I love to ask playwrights is, what is your process? So it sounds like this play was not, really your process. So what typically is your process? Do you start with story or with character or how do you map out a play? What is what is writing for you look like?
1: I usually need to start with some kind of rough outline because I, I feel like dialogue is my strength and structure is my weakness. And if I don't have some kind of framework, it's just going to go off It's just not going to be good. It's going to be like, where did all the dialogue, what's happening? What is the (laughs) point of this? So, um, so I tend to, you know, I don't know, like every moment, but I tend to know kind of where it's starting, where it's going, generally a few things that will happen in the middle. And then it might change as I write it, but I have kind of a general idea. And yeah, this one, I, I I had no idea what was going on. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I love that because I, I think your process points out the fact that you have to play to strengths, mm-hmm. right? You're a dialogue Ooh. person, so you have you give yourself this structure to work within so that things don't go off the rails, right? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, sometimes a play calls for something different, right? And I think that's one of the fascinating things about playwriting and about storytelling is sometimes the story actually demands from the writer how a thing goes Mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I love that this wild ride of a play um, was that for you. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. So um, we know now a little bit more about you. Um, So what made you want to enter play festivals and writing competitions and things like that?
1: Um, so I, I have all these plays that I've written and then it's, it's like a tree falling in the woods, and sort of like if I wrote it and nobody knows, does it exist? Does it, it's meant to be a collaborative thing. So, um, I started, well, I got, I got sidetracked. I moved to Chicago to, to focus on playwriting and then like immediately fell into sketch comedy because it's Chicago and that's like the rule. It's like, did you move to Chicago? Here's your sketch comedy team. <laughs> so um, so I ended up writing and performing sketch comedy for like five and a half years. And then when that ended, I was married and I had a baby. And I was like, okay, well, I moved here for playwriting. So let's try that again. And so I've been like earnestly trying to like write and submit and all of that since like 2015, um, so I feel like I got a late start. But I also feel like you can, playwriting is, you don't have to be young, <laughs> you can be any age. And the older you are, the more life experience you have, <laughs>
2: yes. so that. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I am personally dying to dive right into this script and talk about it just a little bit more. Um, we have a real treat for you because the, the first 10 minutes that Lisa described as being formed through her experience with Playground Experiment. Um, We're going to read the first few of those 10 minutes today to give you just a little taste of that beginning scene of this play that sets it all up for the roller coaster ride that ensues. Um, So we're going to read a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the play in depth, but we want to introduce you to these two key characters. So, Brasheena and Lisa, if y'all will say who it is that you're going to be reading for, and then we can hop right in.
0: Okay, Uh, I will be reading for Jen.
1: And I will be reading for Linda.
2: And Linda is Jen's mother, just so that we have that relationship in mind as the dialogue commences.
0: No. Jennifer. I won't do it.
1: They I need you to. We all need you to. No. Did I not explain it well enough?
0: Your explanation was fine.
1: So you understand how important it is.
0: I told you not to move to a retirement community. What does that have to do with anything? I told you you'd be bored out of your mind.
1: I think it here. When
0: you're alone with your thoughts for too long, you start cooking up terrible ideas and trying to drag them, and trying to drag me into them.
1: It's mother-daughter bonding.
0: It's prostitution. But for a cause. Look, I'm all all also upset the Supreme Court overturned Roe, but this isn't how you deal with it.
1: Well, what ideas do you have?
0: I don't know. Maybe I'll move to Canada.
1: We won't move to Canada. It's cold there, and everyone is too polite.
0: I like polite people.
1: Plus, think of all the women who can't move. You want to abandon them? You
0: can't save everyone, Mom.
1: I can save all the women here in Florida.
0: Florida is being reclaimed by the sea.
1: Yes, can't do it alone.
0: Let climate climate change take its toll on Florida, and then you won't have to involve me in a sex scandal.
1: The girls are on board. What girls? Donna and Pam
0: are Donna and Pam?
1: We do retirement community friends. I wish you hadn't moved here. All three of us marched in the 60s and burned bras in the 70s. And And are now
0: widows with too much time on your hands.
1: And are now angry because we have to fight again for rights that we already won. It's exhausting. This go around, we need your help.
0: You need professional help. Normal mothers do not ask their daughters to seduce the governor, the married governor
1: loveless marriage. The only reason a woman would marry a man that vile is for raw power.
0: Even worse, you want me to have sex with our married, vile governor.
1: Yes, yeah, so and you'll get pregnant. No. And then he'll tell you to get an abortion. Mom. And you'll tell him that you'll go public with the news unless he protects abortion access in the state. I'm not. And that's how we'll save all the women in Florida. <laughs>
0: I I love
1: that so much. I have
2: read this play over the course of the epiphanies process probably three times. (laughs) And and then, you know, hearing it today, I'm still having to, like, cover my mouth so I'm not laughing in the middle of the reading. And and what I love about it is that when Lisa was describing this play earlier, I just know, because I've read it and I almost felt this way. I know that people were listening going wow isn't that like a lot of spoilers that she's giving right like it feels like she's giving away too much mm-hmm. and yet um, no you find all of that out in the first yeah. four pages of the play yeah. you know that's the starting point point. Mm-hmm. and now you really understand what she was saying when she was like you know I'm starting at such like a high place of tension like where does it go from here <laughs> Um, but she manages mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it escalates from there that's like Very the low quickly. point of the script truly <laughs>
1: It does. It really does.
2: <laughs> um, you, and it uh, has this cast of characters, you know, this mother daughter relationship is so interesting because uh-huh. the mother is truly so well-meaning. I mean, yeah. she is like, this is what, this is our responsibility, our civic duty. Mm-hmm. You have to get pregnant. <laughs> and the daughter's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's, it like, it does so many things so well. Um, and, Uh, you know, around the abortion issue, there are a lot of like things that are at play. And I think having this set, this play center on a mother daughter relationship, like really helps to drive that home. And like, even if your mom is for abortion, like sometimes it differs in the way that you think that this should go. Um, And also like uh, the difference between the back then fight against, uh, for abortion rights and today's fight for abortion rights. Mm-hmm. Like we're dealing with different types of politicians and we're dealing with different set of circumstances. And so it just like very well, very well captures the like well-meaning, I want to help, but I don't know what to
2: do. And I, so to expand to the cast of characters a little from the two that we Heard from. Mm-hmm. The mother mentions her two friends, which Lisa alluded Don to, this group can't. of three <laughs> who are in the retirement community formulating this plan. Mm-hmm. But there are two male characters in the play that I think are really interesting. And it speaks mm-hmm. to some of the things you just said, Breshina. We have the governor, who mm-hmm. is vile, disgusting. Just, I mean, it's everything you would expect <laughs> the governor to be. Mm-hmm. It's not good. <laughs> and then there is Jen's husband, mm-hmm. who is like a really, you know, pro-woman, pro-choice, yeah. like supportive, all-around nice guy, right? He's a
0: feminist.
2: He is. He is. <laughs> but what is so interesting to me is that he has no power in this play. Mm-mm. And I think that it's really important because even though he is very much on the right side in this play, mm-hmm. it is not actually his opinion or his voice that matters on this issue, yeah. and you know, and to your point, Lisa, about comedy drives home a point really well. I think it's a really lovely way of saying that, like, men, even if you're right, sit down somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> this like, is it's not up to you. <laughs> yeah, this is not a conversation where you get to take center stage. It's mm-hmm. just not. Even if what you're saying is right and good and true and supportive, it's not necessarily for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah i tried with him also to have like the three um baby boomer women they rarely refer to him by his name it's a lot of like pumpkin baby sweetheart which is like how women get referred to or they'll comment on like his physical appearance like oh well you're physically weak but you're mentally sharp and he's like what no so a lot of i feel like he gets um he deals with a lot of things in the play that like women typically do and then he's like i don't like this but so he was like right. i like him a
0: lot yeah and he's a perfect contrast to the governor who is just the absolute worst um and he even though like he doesn't have very many lines in the play like he shows up very little he still has so much power in this play because he he like literally just gets to like pop into this woman's life make a decision and then pop out and she has to deal with it and it's it's such a good metaphor for how it is like dealing with politicians today it's like they can just make a decision and then that affects everyone else and they don't have to deal with it at all um so that was yeah
2: i love it And the the other character in the play that I want to bring up is the governor's daughter. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to give away too much of the play, but I think that it's really interesting, even because it's a play very much about abortion, about women's rights, about reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. But there's also this small undercurrent of LGBTQ rights in the play. And I think that that becomes important because it really... Points out the truth that those of us live with who are women, who are LGBTQ, that they become, that these issues become related because it's all about people with power wanting to keep power, mm-hmm. right? And so it, these issues, at some level, are inseparable for people who hold these positions mm-hmm. because it's about them maintaining the hold that they have right and so even though it's a play about women about reproductive rights there's also this undercurrent of there are other issues that have to be discussed Mm -hmm. when this is discussed it's it can never be just one thing Mm -hmm. the way that Mm -hmm. our political system has been divided so clearly into Mm -hmm. two
0: and also the intersectionality of everything like i think this captures it so well is that like yes we can talk about one because like in arguments for abortion and even against abortion you hear like very specific scenarios happen and then you think like okay well what if something else happens like you know what do you do if there's an if there's you know something that like intersects here that makes this different um Mm -hmm. and so like it the character of the governor's daughter captures that so well i i love that character
1: yeah i i thank you she was um she was a surprise i didn't know she was gonna be in it and then and then she showed up but yeah i um i i wanted to get in there how it's like we all we all need to band together like they're coming for all of us they're coming. it's not just you know they're coming to the rights of one group they're definitely coming for the rights of everybody and so yeah um, working together a united front type of thing yeah.
0: yeah that's definitely what this play feels like I mean even from like the the band of three <laughs> who likes to kick all of our events off they feel very much united even though they come from like different backgrounds and that sort of thing they all have the commonality of like fighting for their rights in the 60s and 70s and now being like, ah, we got to do it again.
2: (laughs) Well, and not only their own experience, they then bring forward the experiences of their children, Mm -hmm. right? So now not only are they talking about, oh, this is what happened when we fought the first time, now they're saying, but now we have to fight again because look at our kids, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a very different perspective and an important one because I think often when we are fighting, For our rights to exist, that we forget the people that came before and Mm -hmm. how much they might still have to offer in the fight. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's really important that you have senior citizen characters in this play taking up this fight because I think so often we think of civil rights as a young person's game. Truly, Mm. you know, you see the young person waving the banners and fighting the fights and Mm -hmm. giving the speeches. And yet there are people who have already fought these fights and and now have just as much reason, if not more reason to fight because they're looking at the world that their kids and their grandkids are growing up in. And it sucks. (laughs) And so they have (laughs) so much to offer. And I love that we get that perspective in this play and not just our own generation's perspective.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting hearing the comments of because um, I've had a couple readings of it, and the the women who play the the baby boomer heroes. Um, there's a line. Linda has a line towards the end of the play where she just kind of screams like, "We already fought for this," and mm-hmm. um, and there were a couple readings and with different people, and so one of the women in each reading was like that line, but like like we did already fight for it, and and. And now we have to do it again. and oh, we're, we're old now. We're tired. <laughs> I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. And um, yeah. And then, I, I, and it's been, it's been fun also. Um, Cause again, I, I, the play came because I was given two actors and one, you know, and it's like go to their websites and explore them. And one of them was like, I'm a baby boomer activist. And, you know, so that's kind of where Linda came from. Um, but it's, it's been fun seeing um because there's not a lot of comedies it's like if you are a woman older over 50 who does comedy i guess wait for like arsenic and old lace to come to town like (laughs) that's there's nothing else for you and so um so that's been really like rewarding also hearing women be like. You understand the last play i read like i had dementia and i was dying (laughs) they're like and now i'm the hero and it's just this is more fun for a for an actor to to do so that's that was something i hadn't really thought about (laughs) much and i should have and now i'm like well i need to get more like older women into plays because they're 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 great and it's um yeah they're just so excited to not be playing, you know, somebody's grandma, like the wise grandma who yes. dies half through or something. Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: no, I love that you point that out. That not only, like, from a playwriting perspective, is it important that these are included, but for the actors embodying these characters, mm-hmm. that you know, so often specific people get pigeonholed in specific roles. We've talked about the issues of typecasting on the podcast before, mm-hmm. and I to have plays that force people to break the mold about who gets to be what type of character mm-hmm. is really important um, for the actors to get to experience it, but also for the audience to get to experience seeing different actors embody different personas um and ones that they might not expect but frankly like the attitudes of these grandmothers feel so much more in keeping like with my own grandmother than like the types of grandmothers you usually see on stage Mm -hmm. like my grandmother was a badass right (laughs) and like but you don't get to see that very often you see sweet and southern (laughs) or dying of dementia right like there's not a lot of range here Mm -hmm. and these characters offer a different take on what it means to be a mom and to be a grandmother and i think that's really important yeah we should all be
1: activists right to the bitter end yes. <laughs> our whole lives long well, and really? it, it,
2: it's a it's a hopeful thing mm-hmm. that we can be activists till the bitter end and i also think that it's a sad thing that we have to be activists <laughs> till yes. the bitter end right you know so but the comedy does such a good job of bringing together the hope and the despair kind of all in one package Mm -hmm. that there is hope in the midst of the world being on fire but also the world is on fire
0: (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah.
0: i think it's it's such an interesting thing like especially as um uh, I think you know millennials and even like elder Gen Z. We were kind of told that um, you know we'd get more conservative as we got older, and now here we are, <laughs> still yeah. super radical. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a phase, Mom. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I I know so many more of my friends who are like super liberal, even more liberal now than they were when they were in high school, and it's so interesting to like see a play where that continues, even mm. into, um, you know, becoming an elder, um, that you can still have those ideas, because that's something I th- I think my generation is going to hold on to, really, <laughs> for a long time.
1: I yeah.
2: think <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, to, and to remind everyone, mm-hmm. Abort the Mission is the wild play that we've been talking about, um, is... Is there a place where people can find out more about you or about this play? Are you on New Play Exchange? Do you have a website? I am on
1: New, yeah, New Play Exchange. I don't have a website personally because I'm not good at the internet. And I don't. I'm like, I have New Play Exchange website. That's, that's, that's the, enough. That's but if you go there, you New can. New Play
2: Exchange, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so, And so. we've talked about that before. New mm-hmm. Play Exchange is a fantastic place to read new work by yes. living authors, mm-hmm. such as Lisa. So you, if you have an account already, go check out Abort the Mission. If you don't have an account, what are you doing? <laughs> it, it's a fantastic place and a fantastic yeah. resource, both mm-hmm. for people who produce theater, actors who act theater, writers who write theater, mm-hmm. and people who just like theater. It, it's mm-hmm. a really, really fascinating place full of people who are actively writing which is just not the scene that we get to take part in at the average theater down the block unfortunately right Mm -hmm. but it's important to see the stories that people are currently writing Mm -hmm. um, because like abort the mission they're dealing with the right now like what is the reality of life in this case in america presently
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and what do people have to say about that
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah.
2: So um s- tell them how they can find you on New Play Exchange. Remind them your full name and how they can search you on on that website.
1: Well, there's a lot of letters. So I'm I'm Lisa Delegirino Burend. You might have better luck just typing in abort the mission and then my name will pop up. <laughs> um so yeah, abort colon the mission. I think do it that way. And then you'll find me.
2: And then you'll get to see the other place that she's written as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you said that you'd have been tending to write these types of satires, these comedies about social issues has been kind of your wheelhouse for the last while.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you have another play or two that you would want to plug as we're discussing kind of the things that you like to write? Yeah,
1: so I have, well, I have, um... I'm, I'm currently working on a gun control comedy. So that's not, no one can see it yet. It's terrible. Um, but I, I have a climate change comedy, um, which deals with uh, kind of like how this one was abortion, but also or like reproductive rights and also LGBTQ rights. The, the climate change comedy also deals with like American Christianity and how it's kind of like a twisted version of what it's supposed to be so it's um uh it's about a it's about a woman in miami who uh wakes up one morning and jesus is in her apartment and he's like god has tapped you to be his climate change prophet you need to it's my i have two plays with the florida governor and this is the other one and he's like you gotta go take a meeting with the governor and she tries to like get him to leave and he won't leave and uh and then they end up it becomes like a buddy comedy where she and jesus become friends and they go on this she's like an unwilling prophet going to talk to the governor um and yeah that one's called come again and it's uh so that's the the comedy for a species on the brink of self-destruction that's how i call that
0: sounds so good (laughs)
1: um but yeah it was really during the pandemic when i started it was like mostly comedies and then they became comedies that then were like you know they're comedies until they're not anymore but then they go back to being comedies like dramedies um and then during the pandemic was when i was like oh no i need to write comedies about the things that bother me so it's been so i have two full issue plays i guess and then i'm working on my third and, and who knows hope then hopefully all the issues will be solved and then i'll go back to writing silly yeah.
2: things that's right that's the dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well we are just thrilled to have gotten to interact with your work mm-hmm. thank you so much for submitting to our festival it's our joy to get to meet amazing writers like you who are doing the work of telling stories that need to be told and yes. that's that's what we love here. bringing,
0: well, bringing more women into comedy we mm. love it
2: <laughs>
1: Thank you. It's been a lovely experience, my, my Wild Imagining summer, so <laughs> thank you.
2: Well, we have heard where you can find Lisa. Mackenzie is not here to tell you where um, you can find us, but I will do my best. You can find us at Wild Imaginings Waco on Instagram or Imagine This Theater Pod, theater with an R-E or our website, wildimaginingswaco.com, or you can find us through our fabulous producers Rogue Media Network. Brashina was (laughs) watching me the whole time to make sure that I remembered it all, and I did.
0: I'm gonna report back to Mackenzie, he did a great job.
2: Yay, I get a gold star for today. Thank you for joining us to chat with Lisa about her and her career and her play, Abort the Mission. And, you know, we have some more fabulous guests coming your way this season. So for today, thank you for joining us to imagine more of this.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.